Thank you for joining us for our current sermon series at City Baptist Church. We are so thankful that you would choose to grow in your faith with us. And if there's anything we can do for you, we would love to hear from you through our website or social media accounts. We really do believe that God is changing lives through His Word, and so we are praying that you'd be encouraged and challenged by this week's message. And as was already mentioned uh, today, we're going to be getting back into our series after a week off for our missions weekend. And we continue our series in 2 Peter called All We Need. All We Need. And so 2 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to look at the first couple of verses to start uh, this morning. 2 Peter chapter 2. And we'll begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says this, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not." The main idea of chapter 2 that we're going to really focus on today, it builds upon the themes that we've already seen in chapter 1. Remember, this is a letter, 2 Peter's a letter, that would be written to be read all at once. And so it's impossible for us to really understand the lesson and the the, the message here today in chapter 2 without revisiting what we've already discussed in chapter 1. Plus, we've had a week off with Missions Weekend, and so let's take just a few moments to kind of recap and catch us up to speed of where we have been and what we've seen so far in in the letter. We titled our series All We Need because we saw the first week that God has given us all we need according to his divine power. We have everything. He's given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. And then when God saved us and sent his son to redeem us, that when we received salvation, we received everything we need to be conformed to the image of his son. He gave us everything he need. We needed There's no extras or add-ons, but in Jesus, we have everything. And he is, as we sang this morning, he's more than enough for us. But we saw the second week, we saw that uh, even though we have everything we need, we have a responsibility to be adding and growing in our faith. That, that That a healthy faith is a growing faith. And that God's desire for you as a Christian is not to remain as an infant or or a child, but that you'd be growing in spiritual maturity, that you'd add to your faith patience and virtue and temperance and, and brotherly kindness and love. And we saw that we have a responsibility to add to our faith and to grow. The word there is to supplement our faith so that we would be fully mature believers. And last time we looked at first Peter, our second Peter together, we saw that our faith is not based on cunningly devised fables. Peter said, hey, the, the, the message I'm giving to you, it's not based in a story or a fairy tale. He said, no, I'm an eyewitness account. I've seen God's glory. But then something so cool is Peter says this. He said, hey, even though I've seen God's glory face to face, he said, don't take my word for it. Because we have a more sure word of prophecy. And more than any prophet or anyone who tells you what they've seen or experienced, we have the finished and complete and perfect word of God. He said, we have a more sure word of prophecy on which to build our lives. And we saw uh, 
that more than any other prophet or someone who says, hey, I have a message from the Lord, we should build our lives and govern our lives from the finished work of God. And it's upon those foundations that we get to chapter number two. And that's why it starts with the word, but. Because in contrast to the finished and complete and sure word of prophecy, the scriptures, we see there were false prophets also among the people. Here Peter says, hey, he says, church, I need you to know this. In the Old Testament, there were false prophets. There were those who would come and bring a message and would say that they were a message or a messenger sent from God. But they were fake. They were false. They were phony. And he says, just as there was false prophets then, there will be false teachers among you now. False teachers among us within the Christian faith. Now, so often as we consider uh, what are the enemies to faith today, what are the enemies to the church and to the Christian faith, we often look outside of the walls. We look at the enemies, perhaps in culture or society, those who would uh, deny the very existence of God or the accuracy of Scripture. And we say, those are the enemies uh, of faith. They're without these walls on the outside. But here, Peter is giving us this warning. He says, hey, some of the greatest enemies to your faith are not from outside the walls, but from within. He said, there are false teachers among you, within you. And these dangers are so strong that Peter boldly warns us about them. He's, he's helping us in this passage to identify false teachers. He wants us to be able to know what is real and what is fake. Now, I'm going to tell you something, and, and at risk of kind of embarrassing myself, because I know this, I know that... Uh, your social media algorithm is a very specific thing, right? All of ours are a little bit different. But I'm going to tell you a little bit about what's on mine, okay? Uh, my social media algorithm is full of food. <laughs> it's full of food. Since my wife and I moved to Vancouver, it's just been full of restaurants. Like, I just keep saving them and making a list of all these places I got to try. And time is short, but I'm slowly, you know, crossing them off the list. And I don't know if you've ever seen these or not, but I started to get these videos like all the time. And it's a video of an object, and the question is asked, is it cake or is it real? How many of you have seen those before? You guys know, all right, good, I'm not the only one. All right, I got a photo for you. There's even a Netflix show. It's called, Is It Cake? I haven't seen it, but the whole premise is, you know, can you tell if it's real or is it, play on words, is it cake? So here we go. We have a, a basketball and a Doritos bag and a pretty good looking steak, right? But these are all cake. They're not real. They're cake. And I'll, I'll be honest, I watch these videos and like 80% of the time I'm like, it's real. And then there's that knife goes right through it, right? I'm like, how is that cake? I never get it right. And I'm not trying to trivialize or minimize the warning here, but here's what Peter is trying to tell us as a church. He's like, hey, you have to be able to understand and to discern what is real and what is fake, what is genuine and true and what is false, because from within your walls, within your midst, there will be those who will try to deceive you. Not everyone who calls himself a Christian, not everyone who calls himself a teacher is true or to be trusted. One of Satan's greatest tactics in your life will be to confuse you and to deceive you, to infiltrate from within and to pull you away slowly from the truth that sets us free. He wants to entangle you with lies and deceptions and, and, and slowly and carefully pull you away from the truth and it's something that all of us need to understand and need to be aware of. And so this morning, we're going to look at four warnings, 
four warnings from the text that Peter gives us as he sounds the trumpet about the reality of false teachers in our midst. And so let's look number one together this morning. I want you to see when it comes to false teachers, their method is deception. Their method is deception. Look at verse one again with me. He says, there were false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. Notice that phrase, who privily or privately shall bring in. It's one Greek word, and it's translated here in, in the Bible, but here's what it really means. It means to introduce quietly or introduce secretly. We have to be aware of false teachers because their methods are not obvious or overt. They're quiet and secretive. Perhaps you've heard it said this, that the best lies have an element of truth, right? The best lies, the most convincing lies have an element of truth. And the same is true when it comes to false teaching. The best and most convincing false teaching have an element of truth. They're not overt, they're not obvious, they're subtle and they're quiet. They're secret. And I believe that this message about being careful of who we allow to influence us and who we allow to speak truth into our lives, this is a message that I think is even more applicable to us today than it was to the church here in Peter's day. And here's why I believe this. This is my opinion, but this is why I believe it. Because in, in Peter's day, if someone was to come in to introduce false teaching in the church, they'd have to physically walk in the doors. <laughs> They have to be platformed by the church leaders. I mean, they have to actually be there physically. But today, you guys know this, chances are that false teaching will not infiltrate this church in these walls. But it'll infiltrate the minds of the family of this church through our phones, <laughs> through the podcasts we listen to, through the videos that we watch, through the sermons that we look at on YouTube. That's how false teaching will infiltrate our church, through Instagram reels. And I'm not being silly. That's how it will come today, most likely. Now, we have access today to like almost literally every preacher everywhere, like all of their sermons. It's a gift, really, that the church has never had in any other time of history. You know, just recently I was talking to someone in our church, and they told me how at a, at a time when they were really discouraged and in a difficult time, how God brought some, some specific videos to their timeline, to encourage them and to speak truth into their life and how God used that in an incredible way in their life through social media. Man, what a gift, what a blessing. But with that great blessing and opportunity comes a great responsibility to be careful of who you're allowing to speak into your life. Because here's the truth that even if you don't go looking for false teaching, it's going to come looking for you. It'll show up whether you follow it or not, whether you search for it or not, it will come to you and you must be prepared on how to handle it and how to identify it. It's dangerous because anybody can sound biblically solid in a 45 second clip, anybody. And oftentimes that's how we get pulled in. At first glance, things seem solid and convincing and, and accurate. I myself have had introductions to uh, preachers or teachers online through little clips and thought, oh, that's really good. And I've become convinced of their ministry until the more I listened and the more I heard, I understood that there were some things that were really off according to the scriptures. It takes some time and it takes some discernment. The Bible tells us here that they're going to bring in heresies. You know what the word heresies means? It means this, that which is chosen or to make a choice. That's what heresies means. 
which means it's a false teaching, a false belief that we choose to hold. False doctrines or heretical doctrines are ones that are uh, handpicked and chosen. Choosing what pieces of the truth you want to believe and what pieces of the truth you want to throw out. It's a worldly philosophy that we see everywhere today. Choosing your own version of the truth, taking aspects of the Bible and the message and the teachings of Jesus that you don't really, doesn't, just don't sit well with you. And saying, well, I'll take the parts that I like and I'll throw out the parts that I don't. That's literally the definition of heresy. It makes man, it makes self as the standard for what is good and what is true and what is objective. And that is a dangerous thing to do in our lives, to make ourselves the standard of what is true. Beware of those who will influence you to pick and to choose different parts of Scripture to obey and to hold to and different parts to discard and to dispose of. Beware of that teaching. It's dangerous. It's heresy. It leads to a scary place. It can lead you to a place you never thought you'd go. And here in our text, it led uh, to those false teachers who denied the Lord and who bought them and bring upon themselves a swift destruction. Though they were in the church and looked the part, the teaching led them to a place where they actually denied the lordship of Jesus. Yeah, he was a good guy. He was a good teacher. Maybe his way is, you know, a better way of living, but they actually denied him as Lord which means they can excuse themselves and they don't have to follow his teachings and obey his word and they can live and do whatever they want because he's a good guy. Yeah, he's a good teacher. and There's good things in the Bible, but he's not the Lord who gave himself for us. That's a dangerous theology and we need to beware because when it comes to false teachers, their method is deception. But I want you to notice number two, that they have many disciples. Look at verse number two, it says, and many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. I want you to get this. We see a very important lesson and a warning from Peter here. A following does not equal faithfulness. A large following does not equal faithfulness. Popularity does not equal biblical or doctrinal Purity. Just because somebody has a large platform and a large level of influence does not mean that there's someone who we should trust and listen and allow to influence us. Matt, uh, Jesus taught us this lesson in Matthew chapter 7. I want you to notice this passage with me. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. The Bible says this, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now listen to this, beware of false prophets, which come unto you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Often it is those who have the greatest following or influence or celebrity who are lifted up in their own pride and believe that they themselves are above their own teachings. And many times, unfortunately, we've seen this pattern repeated time and time and time again, very recently even, that these teachers and these preachers that have a large influence and a large following, they fall and they fail. And when they do, their platform leads to the crippling and discouraging of the faith of thousands. The doubt and the deconstruction of many people who once called themselves a believer because of this teaching. 
You notice what the scripture says there? It says, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. This kind of false teacher brings a a, a mark, a bad reputation or testimony on the name and the reputation of Jesus Christ. Because they have a large following, but they're not faithful to the word or faithful to the scriptures. And we must know this, that a large following doesn't mean they're faithful. You say, well, there's 2.7 million people who follow them. I mean, someone has to notice Beware of that. Jesus said, wide, broad is the path that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate that leads to life. Few there be that find it. Now look, I'm not arguing that every large church or every large ministry and every pastor of a larger church is a false teacher. I'm not saying that. God has chosen to bless some ministries in a great way and some men who are faithful, who preach the word faithfully, God has used them to reach thousands and thousands. And we praise the Lord for that. They're a blessing. But, but it, it's a warning to us as believers to be careful to say, hey, just because there's a following, just because there's a crowd, doesn't mean that's someone I'm going to necessarily allow to influence me and my beliefs. I want you to see with me the third thing when it comes to false teachers, their motive is desire. Look at verse number three with me. The Bible says this, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you through covetousness. The motivation of false teachers is selfish desire. It's a desire to have more. They want the the fact that you follow their teachings, they want to turn it into a sale. They want to turn you into a number or profit. That's the heart desire behind false teaching. It reminds me of Jesus when he went into the temple two times in his ministry And he saw that the money changers were there and that they were making a profit off of those who had come to worship. And in an expression of holy and righteous anger and rage, Jesus throws over the tables. One of the most uh, expressive we ever see Jesus in his ministry. Why? Because they had taken his father's house and turned it into a house of merchandise. He said, that's not the motive for serving. That's not the motive behind my father's house. It's not a place of merchandise. And the desire behind many false teachers is covetousness. It's selfish. A few years ago, Alom and I had a chance to go to a, a big Christian concert of a very popular Christian uh, like group or, or band. What we didn't know is that in the middle of the concert, um, there was going to be a preacher who was going to preach for a few minutes. We, we didn't know that. And I remember there's probably, t- you know, close to, I don't know, maybe three or 4,000 people there. I remember they announced the name of this preacher and, you know, he kind of walked out on the stage to this like screams and fanfare and lights and, you know, he came out and, and everyone was kind of hanging on every word and he, he's a gifted communicator, there's no doubt about it. Began to preach and I remember as he, he, he started to open the Bible, but instead of talking about sin, he would talk about mistakes. Instead of talking about sin, he would talk about struggles Instead of preaching the gospel, he talked about a message of self-reflection and self-help. And I remember looking to Aloma and I just wanted to yell and say, hey man, you have a microphone and thousands of people listening. Preach the gospel. Preach Christ in him crucified. But he didn't. And I don't know this man. I don't know his motives. But so often there's a temptation to water down, to change, to slightly and carefully change our wording, and to soften the message of truth and sin and the things that might step on people's toes. Why? Because we want to make merchandise, a sale. We want to have more followers. Beware of those kind of teachers. 
And I want you to notice, number four, when it comes to false teachers, they will meet destruction. They will meet destruction. Let's look at verse number four together. We'll read it together, kind of a lengthy passage here. Uh, look at 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number four. The Bible says this, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Now listen to this. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. At the end of verse 1, at the end of verse 3, we see this idea emphasized that the destruction of false teachers will be swift. It's imminent. It's coming. And sometimes if we're not careful, we can look at the influence that these false teachers have, and we can look at seemingly the freedom they have to deceive many and say, God, are you noticing? God, are you listening? God, are you watching what's going on? And we can maybe start to question whether or not God is ever going to bring these teachers to judgment. Why are they having success? Why are they having freedom? And here, Peter is really attacking this mindset, and he's reminding us. He says, hey, they, they may be, have a crowd, they may have a following, but I promise you, they will meet their destruction. And there's a few specific examples that he's going to use here, and they kind of open up a lot of theological debates and discussions, and, and I, we don't have time to really fully get into all of them, but I don't want you to lose the big idea in this passage. Here's the big idea. It's really verse number nine. The big idea is this. God knows how to bring justice to the ungodly. And he knows how to deliver the godly. We sang this morning that God is our deliverer. He will deliver us. And God knows how to deliver his people in the midst of judgment while still holding accountable those who need to be held accountable, those who are ungodly. And he's going to give us three examples of this, three biblical examples. And so uh, notice verse number four with me again, this idea that God spared not the angels. He says this, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. We don't totally know all of the context or the understanding of what's going on, but it's, it's clear that there's, this is the idea of what's going on here. That there were angels who were lifted up in pride and discontent with their position. And though these were holy and angelic and incredible beings that were created to, to give and ascribe worship to God, they were discontent with that role. And so in some way, whether influenced by Lucifer or later, they fell from their position and no longer worshiped God, but instead wanted to ascribe worship to themselves. And he says, hey, if these angels, which are far and high above creation, if they, even they, God will not spare them, but they will face judgment for their, their sin of rebellion, he says, don't worry. God will bring judgment to the ungodly. You can rest that our God is a just God. And I think that's an incredible promise to hold to, that God is a just God. You notice that their sin of the angels is very similar to the sin of the false teachers, that they denied him as Lord. The angels say, I want the glory. I want it to be all about me. And the false teachers say, hey, I'm denying the Lord that bought us. It's a sin of rebellion. 
And he says, if God didn't spare the angels, he won't spare the false teachers. You can trust our God is a God of justice. I want you to notice the second example with me. It's Noah and the flood. Look at verse number five. The Bible says, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Listen to this in Genesis chapter 6. It's the passage where God kind of gives us the context. The scripture gives us the context of what was going on at the time of Noah. The Bible says this, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man that I've created from the face of the earth both man and beast and creeping things and fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. That's a sad passage to read, but it doesn't stop there. Look at, look at the last verse with me. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God looked at his creation, his people who he loved and he created for a purpose, and he saw that their thoughts were only evil continually, that no man sought at the Lord, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And he's like, man, it repented God. He was like, I, I wish I never created them. He's like, they've done their own thing. They've rejected me. They've turned away. And because of that, they must be brought to justice. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah, for just one man who put his faith in God, God delivered Noah from, justice, from, from judgment. And praise the Lord for that. It's an incredible example of how God is able to bring the, the ungodly to judgment, but at the same time deliver those who put their faith in him. You might ask the question, how could a loving God send a flood to destroy the world? Maybe in, in, in speaking to your friends or family or coworkers who are non-believers, that's a question that comes up. How could a loving God destroy the world, destroy his creation that he created? And we, we have to be able to answer or be willing to answer this question. How could a just God leave evil and sin unpunished? We know this as a truth, that if we lived in a society that did not punish evil doing, that would not be a loving thing. To allow people to do whatever they want with no consequences for their actions, it's not a just or a loving thing. So God is a God of complete love, yes, but he's also a God of complete justice. And in his love and his justice, he cannot allow sin to go unpunished. But he loved us so much that though he brings uh, sin to judgment, he also provides a way of deliverance. And so Noah, who put his faith in him, found deliverance in God through a boat. <laughs> And though everyone cursed God and everyone did what they wanted to do, Noah and his family built a boat. And Noah put his faith in God and God delivered him from an evil and a wicked society. I want you to notice the third example with me. Noah, we saw the angels, and now we're going to see the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at verse number six with me. The Bible says this, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that live, that after should live ungodly. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were, were powerful city centers. They were the hubs of trade and commerce of the day. And even though they were great in the eyes of the land, they were wicked in the eyes of the Lord. We know this. The Bible uh, tells us this in Genesis chapter 13. It says, But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord 
exceedingly. And so everyone would look at Sodom and see these incredibly rich and wealthy and successful cities, but God looked at them and said they are exceedingly great sinners. The story of Lot and his time in Sodom can be found in Genesis, and specifically Genesis chapter 19. The passage displays what specifically the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was, why God looked at them and said that they were wicked and sinners before him. It was a sin of rebellion, a sin of choosing what was right in their own eyes and rejecting the natural created order of God. They lived lives of sexual immorality, engaging in sexual relationships outside of marriage. They chose to follow their own desires and their own hearts instead of following the Lord. They did what they felt was right, and it led to them engaging in sins of homosexuality and adultery. And God did not allow this sin to go unpunished. Genesis chapter 19, verse 24, the Bible says, Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. He reduced these powerful cities to a pile of ash because of their sin. Because our God is a just God who does not allow sin to go unpunished. But look at verses 7 and 8 with me again. Uh, The Bible says this, And delivered, let me see if I can pull it up for you on the screen there, verse 7 and 8. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them is seeing, in seeing and hearing, vex his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Now, this is an interesting verse. Because if you have read the story of Lot, you know that probably by our account, we would not consider Lot a righteous man or a just man. In fact, Lot made some really poor decisions. As a leader of his home and his family, he chose to to put his family in a position where they would be so closely influenced by the sin of these wicked cities. He made a decision to follow after that instead of sticking in a place where he could have stayed closer to God. He, He surrounded himself with wickedness. And even though he was a child of God, even though he he was trying to follow God, he was surrounded by the wickedness. And we see that the Bible says it vexed his righteous soul. It means that it it, it wore him down. He, he, He got tired day after day being surrounded by the sin and the wickedness of his culture. And though we maybe wouldn't call Lot a righteous man, God does. He sees his heart and somehow calls him a just and a righteous man. And even in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and even Lot with all of his failures, God delivered Lot from destruction. God is a God that knows how to punish the wicked, but he's also a God who holds to his promises that he will deliver and to save his chosen children and people. He saved Lot. Now look, Lot escaped, but there was consequences for Lot of associating and surrounding himself with the sin of the day. And I want to challenge you today to be a Noah (laughs) and not a Lot. To be one who, even though everyone's making fun of you for building a boat, when you've never seen rain before and you're like, there's a flood coming, and people are like, Noah, you're crazy. And Noah said, you know what? I'm going to obey God. I'm going to have faith in God. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. Even though he was an outcast to society, he was a Noah. Where Lot had one foot for the Lord and one foot in the world being vexed and influenced by the society and the culture. And perhaps that's how you feel today. You're just worn down. You're tired because you're trying to live for God, but you're so closely associated with the thinking and the mentality and the sin of this world that you're in this kind of caught in between two worlds. 
And can I tell you that God is faithful to save us who have called on him by faith, but it won't be without consequences. It wasn't for Lot. He got out of the destruction, but he lost his wife. He didn't get out scot-free. But God is a faithful God who delivered Noah and delivered Lot. And God will deliver and save all of us who put our faith in him. And that's why we see in verse number nine, this clear, clear teaching where the Bible says this, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. And so maybe today you find yourself looking at the world and looking at the society and culture and leadership and politics, and maybe you just find yourself asking the question like, where is God? How can he sit up there in heaven and allow all of this sin and destruction and evil doing just to go unnoticed or unpunished? How is he allowing this rebellion to run wild? Look what's going on in our country, our society. Where is God? Be assured, God is not mocked. Our timeline is not always God's timeline. But he says, false teachers, those who lead others astray, their destruction shall be swift. It's coming. God knows how to deliver the ungodly to to, uh, destruction and to accountability. God has not forgotten his promise to us. And no matter the state of the world, those who have come to God by faith, we don't need to fear judgment. So maybe you're not like looking at the world saying, where is God? But maybe you're looking at the world and saying like, how how could we ever be saved from this wicked world? What is our hope? I mean, look at the state of this world. Uh, Everything we once held to or believed in, I mean, it's just, it's crumbling before our eyes. Can I remind you of the promise that's found in Romans chapter number three in verse 23? The Bible says this, it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus." You see, all of us are sinners. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us deserve to pay the penalty for our sin, which is death and separation from God. But God sent forth his son, Jesus, to be the propitiation, the payment for our sin. He took the penalty of the sin that we deserve. Though he he knew no sin, God made him to be sin for us that we could be made righteousness in him. We can be declared righteous. And Jesus' righteousness can be placed on our account. And so when God sees us who are sinners and deserving of this judgment, he no longer sees our sin, but he sees the righteousness of Jesus on our account. He's the justifier, God is, of those who put their faith in Jesus. So maybe you look at the state of the world and you're like, Levi, there's no hope. (laughs) Everything that we could hold to or build our life upon, it's crumbling. Can I encourage you to come to Jesus by faith? Because, because though there's a destruction coming for those who, who deceive and those who reject God, there is a deliverance coming for those who put their faith in God. God keeps his promises. Do you know Jesus? Have you ever put your faith in him today? You know, sometimes it's hard to tell what's cake and what's not, right? Right? 
Sometimes it's hard to tell what's real, what's genuine, and what's not. And today is, it's sort of a heavy message. It's sort of a, a, a weighty thing to, to hear. But it's important. And that's why we share to you the message of Peter to all of us today, the warning from Peter that the enemy wants to destroy your faith. If you're here today and you have a relationship with God, the enemy wants to deceive you. He wants to carefully pull you away from the truth. He wants to use false teachers to do it, not from without, but from within. He wants to deceive you with heresies, hand-picked doctrines that will lead you to a, a life of entanglement and destruction. That's why Peter teaches us in chapter one that we should grow in the knowledge of God. That's why Peter tells us to add to our faith knowledge. That's why Peter tells us that our faith is not built in a fable or a story, but in a more sure word of prophecy. That in knowing God and growing in the knowledge of God and knowing and reading and studying the word of God, that we would be able to discern what's real and what's not. What's real and what's cake. And my, my encouragement to you, church, is if you know Jesus as your savior, if you're a Christian, to grow in your faith to know your word, to study the word so that you can be discerning, so that you can be strong. Be equipped with the truth. Be careful about who you allow to influence you. Be careful about who you allow to speak into your life, whose teachings you listen to. Allow scripture to in inform your conscience. Allow the Holy Spirit to use the Bible to give you discerning, discernment. Maybe you're like listening to someone or you're, you're following someone online and you're like, ah, you know, sometimes I just, I just wonder, like, is that right? Don't ignore the Holy Spirit when he, when he kind of pricks you and says, hey, is, I don't know if that's right. Don't ignore that. Study the Bible. Understand. Go to people in our church and our community who are seasoned and experienced believers and ask for help. Don't be deceived because there's a reality that there's false teachers, there's false teaching, and it will lead you astray. And our desire is, as a church family, that we would be strong. Our response to the reality of false teaching would be that we would be strong and discerning. And so that's my desire for you, that today you would leave here saying, you know what, I'm gonna be strong. I'm gonna grow in my faith, I'm gonna know the word so that when I face false teaching, which you will, I can be strong and discerning. So I won't be pulled away, I won't be deceived, and I won't be destroyed. That's the message from Peter today. And as God speaks to your heart, I hope that you will make a decision today to say, hey, I, I'm gonna be strong. I won't be deceived because there is an enemy at work. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. We hope that you were encouraged by the message today, and we would love to hear how God has worked in your life. If you'd like to take the time to visit our website and send us a message through the contact page, we would really appreciate it. Have a blessed day.